Welcome to Evangelistic Center Church. I think a lot of us have heard biblical terms such as high priest or or uh, Sanhedrin, or you hear a lot of these, these really vibrant religious sounding names, and you wonder, what in the world does that mean? And I want to get into that today, but I want to kind of give you the basis of what a high priest does, right? So before, before I go anywhere, bear with me, because I want to give you an example of kind of what a high priest's job is to do. A high priest simply is defined as an advocate or somebody who is there for the people, now, you, you being, us being human, can you imagine having somebody that stands and advocates for you on a constant basis? Think about that for a second. Could you imagine having a person whose job it is to literally be on your side? When you get in trouble, they're there to, 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 to negotiate how to get you out of trouble. They're on your team. They stand for you when, when everything's against you, Amen. I started to think about if, if, what if I had somebody whose primary job it was to represent me or mediate on my behalf. And I thought, man, that would be a really hard job. I don't think that, I think that job would cost a lot of money and I don't think anybody would want to do it. And then I started to think, who would benefit most from a mediator? And I started to think of my children, right? I could imagine what, what this mediator would look like, right? Let's say, Zechariah decides that he's going to see if he can string his sister up by her toes from the ceiling fan in the living room. Probably something that would possibly happen in the Geddes household. And so Zechariah goes to string her up, and Addie gets mad, and she comes running in and says, Dad, Dad, Dad. She's crying. Zechariah tried to string me up by the ceiling and by the ceiling fan, and the ceiling fan broke, and my toe's hurting now, and I'm bleeding, and, and, he, and he ran off into his room. So me as a dad or Sarah and I are both furious, and we, we go stomping into the room, right? And we're getting ready to go tell Zechar, why would you do this? And we're going to talk to him and tell him he can't do it and try to go get there and stop. At the door, there's, a, there's another Zechariah, and he's dressed up in, a, in nice clothing, and, and he's standing there, and, and he's keeping me from walking in the room, and he says, sorry, sir, you can't enter. I'm Zechariah's mediator. I'm here on his behalf. And I want to have a conversation about what Zechariah has done. And in my head, I started to giggle at my own joke that I was writing because I started to think that would be really annoying. Because Zechariah is in there hiding from the fact that he's in trouble while I got this other Zechariah standing in front of me saying, it really wasn't that bad, was it? We'll work it out. What do you think? No tablet for a month? No, two weeks. That's the best I can do. Like, golly. And all of a sudden, this mediator's job becomes comes more into picture for me. This, this advocacy job comes into more of a, a brighter picture for me. And I realize, gosh, that would be a hard job to do for anybody, let alone a kid who just tried to string up his sister by her toes. That's semi, in a small picture, and I know I'm being funny, what an advocate or a mediator does for somebody. And that's what a high priest's job is to do. So I want to share with you today what a high priest does in the, the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant. So I'm going to go through and I'm going to share this with you and I'm going to explain it to you and, and hope that you can come to some sort of revelation and understanding about who Jesus is as our high priest. 
Because it's easy to say that Christ stands in advocacy for us because we know the things that he's done and we probably in our daily lives feel and experience his advocacy, amen? But to really bring it fully into picture, I believe that the word of God explains it in a way that should be more revelatory and more expounding that we as his people will understand and know it even further, know this truth even further. But to do that first, we have to start with the, with the Israelites. Now, you and I both know the Israelites struggled. They just struggled. We, we saw them wandering in the desert for 40 years. We saw all of the things that, that they went through uh, not being under grace, not having Jesus as a sin offering. We saw their struggle. And the high priest... His job was to operate as an advocate on their behalf, like I kind of like I talked about. So I want to start first in Hebrews 5, 1 through 3. And this gives a little bit of an explanation of, of where the, the, the high priest comes from and some of the things that he does. For every high priest is chosen among men and is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gift gifts and sacrifices for sins. So first and foremost, the high priest's job was to was to act as a mediator on behalf of the people of Israel. So he would go into the temp, excuse me, go into the tamp, tabernacle and later he would go into the the temple and he would offer these sacrifices. But he also operated as a mediator between God and man. And that was one of the ways that he did it through these sacrifices. He can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for his own sins as he does for those of the people. So speaking of the, 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 Israel, the Israelite high priest, which those high priests, just to give you a little bit of information, those were all a family lineage thing. So Aaron was, I actually have the names, Aaron was the brother of Moses, and he was the first high priest. Eliezer was the son of Moses, and then so on and so forth. Then it goes down, there's a gentleman by the name of Phineas, who's the son of Eliezer, and so on and so forth. So the job of high priest was founded as a part of a biblical lineage. So needless to say, when you have a job that's been in your family for years, it, it's something that's passed down from generation to generation so that they know how to do it. They know all of the requirements about how they're supposed to do things. Even so much that these, that these high priests were required to wear specific robes that had specific things on them for them to be able, even able to enter into the temple or the tabernacle. They, they, they could not go in to the temple or the tabernacle without these garments on. And they were the only one that was allowed to enter into the inner place of, of the tabernacle. The inner room, if you will. So I want to start in Exodus 28 and give you a little bit of example of what, what these high priests would wear, what their garment would look like. I tried to find a good picture that I would put up, but I was worried that you wouldn't be able to see it. So I'm just going to go ahead and read this, and hopefully it helps explain it better. So we're going to be in Exodus 28, 6 through 10. It says this, And they will make an ephod of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. So their robe was made out of literal gold, purple and scarlet yarns, and a fine twined linen skillfully worked. 
It shall have two shoulder pieces attached to it and its two edges so that they may be joined together. And the skillfully woven band on it shall be made and it shall be of one, excuse me, I'm so sorry. On it shall be made like it and it shall be of one piece with it of gold and blue and purple scarlet yarns with fine twined linen. Now, this is a lot of details, but let, let's just continue. And you shall take two onyx stones, and you shall gra- engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, six of their names on one stone, and on the names remaining the six other stones in, in their order of birth. So this high priest, who was in charge of going before God on, the behalf, of, on behalf of Israel, had this elaborate robe and this elaborate getup that he would wear. And this, this robe had, had an undergarment that was made, not talking about underwear, but something similar, that was made of, of pure white, speaking, and, and, and just to give you some ideas, the, the, these, these robes, they speak to some, some things that would come in the future. And as a matter of fact, I won't, I'm, I'm not going to try to get into those now. I changed, changing the web to this. Said so the blue and the ephod was, 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 would cover them. And then they wore this breastplate that had the 12 tribes of Israel that were engraved on them. And the idea of wearing this breastplate is that, that, that the, um, the, the high priest would carry Israel with him when he went and did his high priestly duties. So when he offered these sacrifices and he went before God on the behalf of Israel, he literally threw these stones to some degree, was carrying Israel with him while he went and approached God, and he went into the inner room. One of the major jobs that the high priest was called to do was he was called to on the Day of Atonement, which happened on the Jewish calendar calendar once every year. He would enter into the inner room. First, he had to cleanse himself, right? He had to go through this whole process of cleaning himself and, and, and entering in this place clean and worthy. And he, had to, he would go into the inner room, and on the Day of Atonement, he would offer these sacrifices inside of the inner room of the tabernacle. And that inner, inner room of the tabernacle was the place where God dwelled. It was the place where God dwelled, where you could feel, I would imagine you could feel his presence. It was, it was kind of this place where this high priest could touch the hem of his garment in some, some way, shape, or form. And this high priest would go into the inner room, and he was carrying Israel with him. And on his head was a band, on his head was a band that said, Holiness of the Lord. And it was a gold band with a, with a blue stripe around it. And he wore a turban-like linen around his head. And then that band went over the top of it. And he would enter into this room and he would offer up sac- sacrifices. On the bottom of his garment was bold, bold-woven pomegranate-like material that sat at the bottom next to these bells. And these bells, when the, when the, um, when the, the high priest would walk, those bells would ring. And it was believed that those bells and the intention of the ringing bells was so that Israel, as the high priest walked amongst them, that they would be reminded that they are under the law and under the covenant. This sounds like a very, a very strange job in context of, of, of a new covenant society. Amen? This sounds like a, if you saw somebody walking around with this, you'd be like, oh my gosh, take the bells off. How many of your kids have ever, I, dang it, Stephanie's not in here. I wanted to give Stephanie a hard time. 
Danielle hasn't done this yet, but Stephanie would send my kids home with whistles and bells and things that made noises. And my kids, especially my son, can help himself but all throughout the house. All throughout the house. One time I was taking, I was, don't judge me, I was taking a nap. I always take a Sunday nap, unless Raider game is on. I'm taking my Sunday nap. And all of a sudden, Zechariah is sitting next to me, and I wake up to, and I look over at him. You're playing the whistle while I'm asleep. Jeez. These bells would ring, and they would, they would remind the Israelites to wake up. No, I'm just kidding. They would remind the Israelites to, to, to stay on their path walking towards God. These garments, they, they speak to, to something that, 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 that is eternal, I know that in, 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 the modern, in the modern time, when, when we read about these things, we, we look at them and think of them as, as odd or maybe some sort of weird Halloween costume. But the, 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 the garments of this high priest spoke to something that was much greater. I'll, say that, I'll, I'll start with this. It says, these stones on the ephod and the breastplate signify that the high priest carried Israel near his heart. And bore Israel on his shoulders. The fabric of the ephod and the breastplate was made of blue, purple, scarlet, and gold threads woven into the linen. The final piece of clothing was a gold crown in which was fastened with two blue ribbons and engraved was holiness of the Lord. So they carried this, 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 this um, headpiece that, that proclaimed the holiness, holiness of the Lord over them, but blue actually, the color blue actually speaks to, the, to grace, and gold obviously speaks to, excuse me, it speaks to royalty, and purple, excuse me, gold speaks to royalty and also purple. So these colors, they have, they have a meaning to them. They have this, this, this get-up and this garment, it has a meaning to it. There's, there's more to it than, than what meets the eye. The primary purpose of the high priest was to serve as a representative and a mediator while also keeping with these different traditions. And those traditions were often, if, if you go back and read through Leviticus, I believe it's 16 and Exodus 28 and, and some of these different places, you can go back and read how detailed these different offerings and these different things that the high priest was meant to do, how detailed that they were. Go back and actually, I'm, this is not even in my notes. Go back and read how they were required to construct the tabernacle. That, that, is, that is a feat in itself. Robbie's been redoing our bathroom. And could you imagine, Robbie, if we gave you this, this d- list of things? Like we want gold streaming from the ceiling. The gold needs to light up. And when you walk in, we need to have, we need to have uh, who's a good mediator? A guy that does like voiceovers. What's the, John, John Paul Jones? No. What's the guy that does Lion King? James Earl Jones. And when we walk in, we want James Earl Jones to come over a loudspeaker and say, welcome, ladies, and point them on where they're supposed to. Could you imagine that? Golly. I could barely build a birdhouse. I couldn't imagine trying to build something in a way that it has to measure a certain way and look a certain way and so on and so forth. Get back on my notes. The high priest served several purposes that were crucial to the Israelite worship. It was the high priest's responsibility to see that the covenant was enforced and direct people to complete the duties of the temple and the law of Moses. Now, these duties were very, were very um, action-driven. 
These duties required of the high priest that, that it, it, was, it was a standard by which they would keep, but that standard was based on task. That standard was based on doing. That standard was based on the burden of the law that they felt. And as a representative of the nation of Israel, a high priest had a tremendous responsibility to direct the hearts of the people toward God and the fulfillment of the covenant. Needless to say, in my roundabout way of explaining this job of the high priest, we can see in this place that the high priest has a very, very intense job. His job in that day was to point the people back to God. In a day where God did not dwell among them, that they, they, they didn't get to experience his presence, that they felt the, the weight and the weightiness of the law, the yoke of the law. If the, if the high priest, and just to sum it up, if the high priest had a job description, I feel like it would read something like this. High priest, mediator and representative of the people to God the Father, director of worship and a director of wholeness towards the covenant law. Sole individual who is able to enter into the holies of holies, holy of holies where God's presence is. To go on their behalf and mediate for the people. That's an intense job. It's such an intense job that only one man could do it and then that job would be passed on to another. There was only ever one high priest in that day and age. There was other priests, but there was only ever one high priest. I can imagine being this man that has to carry the weight of the sins of his people. Has to carry the weight of the decisions of his people. And how strenuous that must feel because all around you, you're watching people fail. And the sacrifices you offer, you offer them daily and weekly. And the, 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 the progress by which you were meant to try to atone for the actions of your people seem like this, this work that I can only imagine bared so much weight. Because as this man, the high priest, would approach God and say, God, forgive them. Here is my sacrifice. And then again, he comes back the next day. God, forgive them. Here is my sacrifice. If they could only walk into this place that is the holies of holies and experience your presence. If they only knew, if they could look upon you without, without dying in, in their sin. If they only knew what I see. If they could only experience what I experience. And the, and the cool part about it, the, the neat part about it is these high priests were men just like they were. You, we can go back and read. It said that when he offered up sacrifices, they had to offer up sacrifices for themselves as well. So these high priests, they, 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 could, um, they could understand because they themselves were sinners. So what do we do? Could you imagine not having somebody that stood on your side? Just, just person to person. Pastor always tells me something when when I'm struggling and I'm going through something, he always says, I'm on your team or something like that. He always tells me that, that I'm with you. And even just him telling me that is more than enough, but his actions follow that sentiment. I tell my kids this all the time when they struggle that I'm on your team, I got your back. And even if Zechariah tries to string up his sister by her toes, I still got his back. 
And I can only imagine living a life where in this world we have nobody that mediates and stands for us. We have nobody that, that, that represents us to the highest power that possibly exists, further beyond any president or king or lord on this earth. I can only imagine the weight somebody that has no advocate must feel. The weight of somebody that has no mediator must feel. Because the reality sets in that you are, that if, if for this person that has no mediator, the reality must often set in that I stand alone. Nobody is for me. Nobody is for me. Throughout the book of Hebrews, there's an explanation. There is a, there is a title given to Jesus that that, that, is, that is great, that is powerful, that is awesome. And they give Jesus this title of high priest. But Jesus never wore weird clothes. Jesus never had a, a breastplate that, that had the tribes of Israel written on it. Jesus didn't wear, maybe he wore a hat or a covering, but that covering didn't have a, a band around it that wrote, that said the holiness of the Lord. Jesus never operated as a high priest like we see the Old Testament high priests operating. So how does Jesus fulfill this office of high priest? And how does he fulfill it not just for the people of Israel, but for us? And that's what I want to talk about today. So we have it in our hearts and we have it in our minds. How, how would life be without an advocate? And, and I don't want anybody to raise your hand, but if you're in this room and you think, I've got nobody that stands to mediate on my behalf. I've got nobody that stands in place for me. I've got nobody that is fighting for me. I've got nobody that understands the weight and the sin that I bear. I've got nobody that understands and knows me. Well, I'm here to break down that. Because I felt this way. I've felt like I've had nobody in my life. I've felt this burden. And I want to, I wanna, through the word of God and through the truth, I pray that that, that that mentality would be broken down. And even if you don't feel that way, I pray that you would be encouraged and reminded of who Jesus is as our high priest. And I want to start in the book of Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16. Since we have this great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. It goes on, I'm going to pause there for a moment, it goes on multiple times to proclaim Jesus as this high priest. But once again, Jesus never bore, he didn't wear the, the clothing, he didn't put the bells at the bottom of his, of his garments. He, he, he's operating in a, different, in, a different, uh, in a different way as the high priest. So since we have this great high priest who has passed through the heavens, right? Jesus, the son of God, let, it, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. That way we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. So Christ has now been set apart and set, obviously we know Jesus is set apart, but now he's been given this title of high priest and he's not doing it in a way that the high priests of old did it. He's now doing it from a place of, of fulfilling the office of high priest. 
And in his fulfillment of the office of high priest, he stands not as somebody that doesn't understand our situation, but somebody who has stood against the temptations of the world, who has stood against the temptations of sin and come out on top. And he doesn't stand as a haughty, as a haughty person or somebody who is, who is big-headed about it. He stands before God and he says, God, I know what they've been through. I know what temptation feels like. I know the weight of sin. Have mercy. He's one of us. He came as flesh and he can sympathize with our temptation. Now, he may not know the, the struggles of Chris or, or Noah or, or anybody in this room. Necess- I shouldn't say that. He does know, but he, he may not necessarily know the struggles of 2022, but he knows the struggle and the weight of temptation of sin. And although they're different, he can understand and sympathize with those. It's amazing to me how oftentimes we miss this. Now, if you remember the, the high priest's job was, was to go into, the, into this holy place and offer up atonement for sins, offer up, offer up a sacrifice for sins. And we all know what Jesus has done, but I want to go into Hebrews chapter 7 and show it to you. For, it, for sin, sorry, sorry Alex, I'm going too fast. I'll slow down. For indeed it was fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, and then, and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. He's done it once and for all. And we all know what he did on the cross that day. He, he didn't have to wear a breastplate that said the names of, of all the sinners on it. He wore it on his body. He wore it on, 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 in his hands with the pierces in his hands and in his feet. And he wore the royalty of gold and purple. They, they, put, a, they put a robe over him that was purple, I believe. They put a crown on his head. So Christ literally came through his sacrifice, understanding our sin, knowing our temptation, stood in the gap for us, and offered a sacrifice that was for all, for all sin. I'm going to get ahead if I don't. His sacrifice was sufficient. There's no need for another high priest because he fulfilled the duty of high priest. Jesus never, Jesus doesn't, doesn't understand. We've already covered it. He understands. He's been there with us. He knows what it's like to be tempted. I would imagine Jesus knows what, it like, what it's like to feel heartache and pain. Jesus stood in the gap for us. He is our great high priest because he can sympathize and empathize empathize with us and understand. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. What better advocate than somebody that sits next to the Father and advocates for Noah and Linda and Sarah and Chris and so on and so forth? What better advocate? 
than one that, that, that has, has felt the pressure of sin and yet stands at the right hand of the Father as a sufficient sacrifice for sins and still advocates on our behalf, RV. What better? Something amazing happens. Something amazing happens when, when Christ stepped onto this earth. It says this, excuse me, it's something, bear with me one moment. I'm going to jump ahead to John 1.14 if you'll turn with me. Now we talked about the, the high priest going into the tabernacle, which the tabernacle is, is, a, is a place of dwelling. That's, that's what the word tabernacle means. And it says this, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of a son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. That word dwelt means to tabernacle. So Jesus came and he tabernacled with man. He stood with man. There's no longer a tent. Well, at that time there was still a tent that was needed because he had yet to be sacrificed, but we'll get into that. But he came and he dwelt with man. And on, his, on the day of his sacrifice, Romans 8.10 says this. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit of life, excuse me, the spirit is life because of his righteousness. So he came and he dwelt and he tabernacled with man. And now for those that believe and accepted him as Lord and accepted him as king and believe that his sacrifice is sufficient, he now dwells in you. So he tabernacled with man and now he tabernacles in us. He dwells in us. There's no, need. There's no need for this tent. How do we know that this is true? Uh, Matthew 27, 51 says this. As Jesus is, is on the cross and as Jesus is, breathes his last breath, it says this, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split. That, temp, that, that, that veil, that, that curtain that, that kept people out was now torn and wide open for God, for our access to him. His sacrifice is sufficient that we would be covered in his blood, that we would walk in his truth. But now we can approach this throne of grace with confidence because Christ, our high priest, has made it, made it able. He's opened it up for us. I think back to the cross when I, when I was reading this, and, and Jesus, before he dies, he stands there and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. They don't know what they do. And I think back on my life and the places I've been and the things that I've done and the shame that I feel. And I think back. And as I'm reading this, I'm looking at my past life, and it's like it, it's like it goes away. It's like a fuzzy picture to me now. Because now Jesus stands on my behalf as a mediator. He's on my team. Pastor, he's for me. He's for me. When the world wasn't for me, he, he's for me. When I was lost and broken, he's for me. And now that I'm whole and free, he's still for me. He's still for me. 
I may fall apart and I may break down and life, life may, may crumble around me, but he's still for me. He's still for me, and he's for me for the Father. He's telling the Father, no, I know Chris is a little crazy. He's a little weird, but he's a great, he, he, I'm for him. Trust me, I know where he's been. I know the things he's seen. I know the temptation he feels, but I also know his heart, and his heart is to know and to serve you. Hebrews 6, 19 through 20 says this. We have the sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is our high priest forever. The job, the office of high priest has been fulfilled forever. And what a better mediator. And what a better advocate. And what, there's, there's no better mediator and there's no better advocate than the man named Jesus who bore my shame on the cross and took a crown of thorns on my behalf. Not that I would, not that I would freely go in sin, but that I would freely lay down my life and allow him to be king and allow him to be Lord. God, wherever you want to take me, I'll go because you're on my team, because you're my mediator. You've come on my behalf. You know my struggle. Brandon, if you wouldn't mind coming up. You know where I've been. Maybe you're in this room and you feel the weight of the world against you. And you, you feel the pressure of not knowing that, that Christ is, is, for, is for you and be for you. That he stands on your behalf and he prays and intercesses on your behalf. And he's gone to the Father on your behalf and he's still at the Father's side on your behalf. And maybe you're somebody that's in this room and you say, I don't feel like I have somebody on my team. Maybe you've never known that this Jesus that I'm talking about. Maybe you've never experienced him as Lord of your life. Maybe you've never understood what it's like to be under the, the, the blood of a Savior. Somebody who stood in the gap for you. 